0: Hello and welcome to Spoil Your Reign. This episode is a special episode on the recent Northern Irish election, otherwise known as hashtag AE17. <laughs>
1: what the hell does that mean?
0: That's what it is on Twitter. They have the little hashtag thing. Okay. It's going to be... Look, I'm trying to get down with the kids, okay? And okay. Uh, You're joined, of course, by myself, Jack Kavanagh, and... Jack Kerwin. I was reminded that we didn't name ourselves last time, so I'm I'm reminding everyone who we are. The voices in the dark. Yes, the voices (laughs) in the dark. So just to start with, um, for all of our listeners who are not um, in Ireland or the UK, because we do have some American, wider European um, listeners, we had a general election in Northern Ireland uh, about 10 days ago. Um, The results are in, and... The results have been widely reported as a massive blow to the forces of unionism writ large. Now, this is both true and false. So the media have presented it as unionism have lost on all fronts. Everything is terrible. But when you actually look at the numbers, there are 40 unionist aligned MLAs, which is member of the legislative assembly. There are 39 nationalist and republican MLA's and then there were 11 non-aligned. Yeah. So from that the unionists still have a majority. It yep. is a majority of one but it is a majority. But what they mean by the unionists losing their majority is that this new block of 40 is split between four different groups. Yep. In the old days it was usually split between two and one of those had a massive majority.
1: Well it's, it's a thing of, I mean as as we were looking at the numbers, it's apparent that the big problem that the unions have is, is a lack of transfers. Yeah, I mean the DUP is one of the most transferred toxic
0: parties in Northern Ireland. I mean, I looked through all the constituencies because the electoral office of Northern Ireland is—I have to say this—one of the best for releasing information. They had, they, they had, yeah, <laughs> by the law, <laughs> they had the returns out within forty-eight hours. Now, not in Excel format, in PDFs, which was an extreme. in the ass for me because i had to then convert it because i wanted to run some numbers on it so if you look at the constituencies where the nationalists which includes the sdlp and sinn fein where they got four out of five seats because it, it, it this is the way it works in northern ireland there are 18 constituencies there are five members per constituency there used to be six members per constituency so a number of things happened in this election to kind of create a bit of chaos you had an 18 member cut so every party was gonna lose at least one. On top of that, you had a turnout jump that went from 55 to 64.9%. So when you have a 10% jump in turnout, results go haywire from what you knew before. But in terms of the individual constituency by constituency level, you have Sinn Féiners and SCLP people winning in constituencies which you would never expect. They're winning in upper ban. Yeah. They're winning in down. They're winning in these kind of very traditional, hardline, conservative and unionist areas. Well, in the
1: counties that were considered, like, even if half of the North was to go back to the Republic, the other remaining counties are just, no, they're hardline. They're
0: unionists forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what that shows you is a couple of things. One, uh, there is obviously changing demographics, right? Yeah. So the Democrats in the last election in 2016 in America talked about democrat demography as destiny. And they're both right and wrong on that, right? So the younger age group are voting for them. In Northern Ireland, it actually is happening. Yes. Like, demographics are changing. The the ones that have changed since the 80s and 90s have actually come into play now.
1: And it's long, long been predicted since the Good Friday Agreement that this was inevitable. Yeah. yeah. And
0: it just took a couple of cycles, and now we're here. But where we are is a highly unusual place, because if you look at the Unionist vote writ large. There are four Unionist blocs. There is the Democratic Unionist Party, which is the most right-wing political party in the House of Commons.
1: Yes, and if you, if anyone recalls there was the scandal recently in Northern Ireland and that would be the DUP. Yes, the DUP
0: um, established under Arlene Foster when she was the... she's the current First Minister, or she was the First Minister, so their version of a Prime Minister, which is a joint position. And she, while Minister for Enterprise, established a renewable heating initiative, which they called RHI, and it's basically a scheme to get people to burn wood pellets. They created a very complicated formula for it, but never figured out how to cap the formula. So anyway, this is all yada yada. yada. End result is the government of Northern Ireland, the taxpayer, is on the hook for half a billion pounds so five hundred million pounds by the end of what next decade? I think so. Because yeah. this thing has just spiraling costs. Basically, it was cheaper for you to burn pellets because the government was paying you to do it. Yes. It was and free money. Free money. And so it has become this massive political scandal because it seems like it was a pretty pretty corrupt thing to, to put in place. Although we're like it's I, gonna be investigated. We don't best,
1: know. At best it was incompetence.
0: At worst it was you were helping somebody somewhere. Yeah so this all blew up around christmas last year although it actually had been talked about beforehand uh martin McGuinness is very very ill and has resigned and actually retired from politics he has a a a disease that affects all his organs i think he's actually in hospital right now i mean by the time we tape he actually could be in a much more critical condition so we don't actually know Mm -hmm. what his situation is but him being sick meant that normally in the past when there have been issues between unionists and nationalists in the assembly such as the very famous (laughs) mrs robinson episode and i think we did discuss that in an earlier one i might put that back in a link Uh, mrs robinson shall we say had some difficulties with a younger man Uh, that also involved 50 grand in brown paper bags from what (laughs) i understand so uh, in this situation uh, peter robinson uh, voluntarily stood down as leader and said that there will be an investigation it will be transparent and martin McGuinness supported and defended him and said that Peter will be put back in his job once this report is completed. So there is a precedent for a first minister under some sort of crisis or cloud of suspicion to temporarily step down, be investigated, and then be reinstated. Yes, Arlene Foster had none of that. She had no interest in doing anything like that and decided to instead attack Sinn Féin repeatedly for for a variety of things.
1: And all were disastrous attempts to spin the story. Yeah. They all just hurt her more and more and more.
0: And with McGuinness being ill, it meant that probably the finest political mind on the Republican side was sick, ailing at this point, possibly dying. Um, We don't like, so it means that there was nobody there to catch the ball as it keeps bouncing. So we end up in a snap election and in the election period there wasn't a lot of reporting on it in Ireland or in the UK writ large or anywhere apart from Northern Ireland Um, there were a number of unfortunate statements made one of which was the description of all nationalists as crocodiles which led to I'm sure some people have seen footage or photographs of men dressed in what I can best describe as green Barney the dinosaur suits (laughs) shouting in Irish uh one guy was shouting um tommy ar wind and wicca in a polling station in northern ireland which basically means i'm on the pig's back yeah so there's a man dressed as barney shouting random irish phrases at unionists because they described the nationalist community as crocodiles this is this kind of ridiculous stuff that goes on the other thing that was said which was far more dangerous which i think actually led to a large surge in the nationalist turnout was A right-wing backbencher for the DUP stood up in the assembly just before the election was called and made the point, he posited one of these kind of rhetorical questions. He already knew the answer he wanted. He asked Arlene Foster, he said, do you think that, you know, in the future we should get rid of power sharing, which is, power sharing is, since 1998, you can't have a government that isn't representative of both communities. And he said, well, why don't we just go back to how it used to be, where the majority rules. And what he was referring to. Is, they were the
1: majority. They were
0: the majority. There was a unionist supermajority for fifty-two years, from nineteen twenty to nineteen seventy-two. The House of Commons of Northern Ireland, that was that was the assembly then, it had fifty members, they always had forty. Yeah. Forty. Which meant that basically they were debating with themselves. There was never ever gonna be any other voice heard but their own. So when you say in twenty seventeen, before an election to half the country that you think that we should return to a political system where they had no voice whatsoever, yeah. um, there's going to be a reaction. Because when you tell people that you're basically well, going to obliterate their voice, I, they're going to come back at you. I, I mean, suppose, this is no, kind no, of like this
1: a... Is, this is, the Irish comparison would be like whenever Fianna Fáil has decided we should go to first past the post. Yeah. And inevitably everyone goes, no, no. because you just want that because it would mean you hold power Indefinitely. Actually, a
0: similar comment that uh, undid Fina Gael would be when Enda Kenny on the eve of the election called his entire constituency wingers. Yeah, that was not a good. So play. I mean, th- this isn't new that politicians sometimes say dumb things about <laughs> voters writ large, who then come and punish them because voters have the only weapon they have is their vote. Yes. So what we have ended up with is a very different political situation result wise in Northern Ireland where we have these two relatively synonymous blocks you have a unionist block that is made up of the DUP who are the most right-wing party up there actually no they're not sorry they're the most right-wing and largest party up there there is then the UUP who are the sort of moderate unionists use very roughly that term (laughs) there are liberal unionists in there yes. too, and then you have the TUV, which is one guy, Jim Allister, <laughs> Jim Allister, who left the DUP because, in his words, it was too liberal for him. So you can imagine what his views. His there. views are very interesting. Uh, and then you have uh, one person called Claire Sugden. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. Uh, who is an independent unionist and recently served as the minister for justice because the justice portfolio is very sensitive and neither. Side of the the last government, which was made up of the DUP and Sinn Fein, wanted to take their portfolio because they didn't
1: trust the other. Which is a very interesting situation to have in politics that the two parties in power would. I mean, the Minister for Justice in almost every country is a significant post. Yes. So it's that very interesting thing of it must be probably one of the only government systems in the world.
0: But you bring in an independent to do it for you. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Where an independent would be able to get that level of access, power, and access.
0: So, you know. that's the unionist block. 40 of them. They don't really agree with much internally. And from the votes inside, they don't transfer it to each other. Now, and here's the thing. It used to be you could argue that unionist voters, because they had a first-past-the-post system right up until the 70s, hmm. that they're not very familiar with PR. But they've had PR since the 1998. Yes, It's not like they're not aware of what it is. They know what it but, is. The difference is is that they do not want to transfer internally because the internal divides, it seems to me, politically, whatever about personally, I don't live in yes. housing estates, but from the outside, looking at the vote totals, the fact that they will not transfer internally says that there is a fundamental problem in who represents unionism, quote-unquote, writ large.
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, there, there is that simple problem is that it's it is always any time you refer to Northern Irish politics the it's easy to just assume the divide is unionist nationalist and that is the be all and end all.
0: And it's really not.
1: Um, it really isn't because it's that thing of okay you you might be a unionist but if you're a sort of liberal unionist with notions of yes that, you know, gay marriage abortion yeah. well good welfare system so on so on well or if how, you're against Brexit like two thirds yes. of the country was then then you end up in a weird situations are you really if you're only given the option of voting for a unionist who's opposed to all of your other positions, but with you on the union thing, are you going to vote for them? Probably not.
0: Or if you are going to vote for them, you're not going to give them your first preference. No. That's the other thing. No. And also, they have a the PR system that is used in Northern Ireland is very similar to the Irish one, except that they use what's known as the Dehant counting method. Now, the Dehant counting method, from what I understand, the difference we use the Hare method, is that it does not Places much priority on the individual and it's much more party based. Yes. Which is why, if you look at the Northern Irish Assembly, it's nearly all parties. They don't have the big mass of independence that we have.
1: No. Um, They tend
0: to have smaller parties, you know.
1: Which is a small but very important difference. Difference. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've actually been running some scenarios to see could you, in theory, form a cross-community, you know, so-called rainbow coalition that did not include Sinn Féin and the DUP, and no. It's
1: just not possible.
0: Yeah. like one of them would have to literally say, I'm going to abstain and let you form a minority government. You know, that could
1: be interesting.
0: I mean, if the Shinners said to the SELP, UUP, the Alliance Party and the Greens, you go off and form a, you know, rainbow coalition. We're going to sit in opposition and we're going to do what Fianna Fáil are doing with Fine Gael. We're not going to bring you down. We're just going to let you like be the mud flaps for yeah. all the crap. That could happen.
1: I mean, that would be a very... I, I think it would be a very savvy political move by Sinn Féin.
0: It would be actually a, quite a maturing thing for Northern Ireland too because the rainbow they could yes. do with the Rainbow Coalition. I mean, well, like we, we only got one in the 90s and it was very good for us too. Well,
1: I, th- I think it would be very good for... Again, it, I think it's very important, to best, especially in a PRS TV system, to have a broad range of political parties. But I think it would also be very important, probably for both DUP and Sinn Féin, to be able to step back from being in the the, the firing line for, yeah. for just a little while, yeah. a little bit more of a read, and find out, for all they know, I mean, the two of those parties, because they've been in power for so long, there could be a lot of small issues that they've just simply been ignoring because it doesn't fall under their voters' interests, Yeah, that the Rainbow Coalition would be going, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we would like to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, this brings up the other thing where um, I'm sure some people have heard this phrase, the petition of concern. This is a very unusual clause that was put into the um, um, Good Friday Agreement. It was designed to protect both communities from overreach from the other. Really and truly, this was about nationalists being worried about their previous experience in electoral politics where they were locked out due to gerrymandering and so on. It basically says that if you have, I think in the old parliament it was 30 seats, I think it's still 30 seats. If you have 30 seats on your own, you can basically put this petition out and block legislation. Yep. This maneuver has been used by the DUP to stop gay marriage, yep. for example. For I think the last five times it's been put forward. Oof. So now that no party has 30 seats, in theory, gay marriage could happen because this petition thing it can only happen if there's a coalition of unionists that agree to it. And there's a good chance that there mightn't be because the UUP seem to have a slightly different view on gay marriage. Although I have to say social conservatism, as we understand it, is in every party. There are very socially conservative Sinn Féiners who are not in favor of abortion, who are very iffy on gay rights.
1: Oh, I mean, we've discussed this before in relation to Irish politics, that that is a mistake that a lot of people make, which is they look at some of the younger people looking at Sinn Féin and assume that that was representative of the party's beliefs. No. While ignoring that, there is in fact a vast rift within the Sinn Féin party itself. Over social issues. Over social issues.
0: Which, in fairness, they've duct taped for now, but God knows how long that will last. Um, I'd, I'd say what will eventually happen to, to Sinn Féin on the social issues is that they're just going to have to allow more free votes and there's nothing else you can do.
1: Yes. I that, mean, that's really it. That's it. it.
0: They're going to have to do some sort of free vote association thing.
1: But I mean, this is exactly what we're referring to with that problem of if you just think of North Irish politics as unionist. A binary issue, yeah. It doesn't apply because even within the parties themselves, mm. there are, well, not so much within the DOP, but definitely within Sinn Féin, there is a grand divide because of this one issue being, for understandable reasons, so overwhelmingly important. Um, The other issues sort of fall into the backdrop just a little bit more than they would in other countries. I also think this, though, the the media narrative, which actually didn't really come from
0: Republicans, um, because they seem to have ignored the nationalists. The nationalists held their own. The SDLP actually came back with the same number of seats. They they had a very good turnout at the hustings. They did good. But nobody seems to give a damn about them. Well, it's
1: very impressive considering how many seats were cut.
0: Yeah, exactly. Considering the, the vote cut, they actually managed to hold their own. Yeah. Unlike the UUP, who got demolished. Yes. Um, and actually the UUP leader did a very brave thing. Mike Nesbitt uh, was a former UTV presenter who became a politician. It was an unusual career change. You don't see that often. Usually it's the other way around. Yes. But he went that way. And on the eve of the election, he, he asked his voters to transfer to the SDLP. Yeah. No, it didn't work. But I mean I have to say it was a really credit to him that he actually said I'm going to I'm going to stand and fall by my convictions. And yeah. he fell obviously he's resigned. But I mean well, it was a brave thing to do well, to I say think, let's try to get I think that could this.
1: be an indicator that perhaps you, the, the notion of a rainbow coalition has a lot of weight. I mean although they could argue that because his party got hammered maybe not. Possibly but there's also the notion that um, I mean, that could be for any number of other yeah. reasons. That could be to do with... Uh, Internal perhaps, unionist problems. Perhaps too, within yeah. the UUP there was a significant number of Brexit-interested yeah, voters uh, who decided that, no, we got to jump ship and stick with the DUP, the only people standing against, you know, for yeah. sorry, standing for Brexit.
0: And, of course, the, the other thing is the, the non-aligned parties, which include the Alliance Party, uh, the Green Party, and PBP. PBP are non-aligned in the Northern Irish system, which is kind of weird when you think about it. Um the Alliance Party returned pretty much everybody as well. And the Alliance Party take from everyone, but they largely take from Liberal
1: Unionists. Liberal
0: Unionists (laughs) like to vote for the Alliance Party.
1: The Alliance Party is very much in that area of, like, let's just keep this place running for the time being. And they got two green people in. Very good.
0: One of them in, like, a real traditional Unionist area as well, so... I suppose I, th- I suppose it's probably easy to vote for someone like that because they're not interested in constitutional change. They just literally want to sort out, like, bike lanes and stuff like <laughs> Small
1: that. Small things like, you know, maybe putting in a Garbage, tram. Garbage, you, you know? know. Like,
0: yeah, you're not going to get, like, super pissed off about that.
1: I mean, personally, I think if I was living up the north, I would happily vote for the Greens over anyone else Just the thing of, like, what's your politics? I want bikes to do good.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to get mad <laughs> at them. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, so... But the the media narrative has been, you know, all has changed, changed utterly. And all these terrible cliches and sort of just mindless journalism of people who've never actually read anything about Northern Ireland. And if you are living in Northern Ireland, you have a right to be pissed off at these people. And I am channeling your irritation, which I've heard from my friends who live up there um that it is they do get painted with this sort of ridiculous brush right? Well,
1: i mean as, as i as i used as the example this is a g- big political change in the sense of when the you know you get a first minister who's a woman and it's a yeah. this is a big historic day and it is but it is not a grand immediate change no, to the politics there's not
0: going to be a border poll on thursday
1: yeah I, like it is that thing of this is a good step but it isn't like it isn't the one giant leap
0: no and you know? also i very I find very little
1: evidence that this is a step towards reunifying
0: the country somehow. Well, I don't see is,
1: that. Look, even with the data, and even with the knowledge we have, I mean, it is very difficult to say why some parties lost out, why some held their ground, because you have three major things that would affect any election happening cut. in a matter of months. You've got Brexit, yeah. which is huge. huge. You've got a, a massive seat cut Of a scale I don't think I've really ever heard of before. And they did
0: it for cost-saving measures, which is the craziest bit.
1: (laughs) I don't think I've ever really heard of that outside of some very odd little places. Yeah,
0: it's a weird thing to do.
1: And you had a massive scandal that the First Minister utterly balls up trying to deal with. I mean, every attempt she made to spin that, as I said, it just backfired. She also
0: attacked her own party over it. That was the
1: other... Yes, which is, again, never a good strategy. I mean... She, I, I think she managed to blame everyone except herself and yeah. every reason except for incompetence. Yeah. Which it would have been the best one to go for, uh, it, in all honesty. If you go, oh, I'm sorry, I was an idiot and you fucked up. People go, well, you're an idiot and you fucked up. But you told us. But you told us. And we appreciate you know? that. Yeah. Um, whereas she tried to find any way out of it, and it was a disaster.
0: Also, it seems to me that she is either incapable or unwilling, I think it's more incapable than unwilling, mm. of being able to thread a very difficult needle between, I must do business with people I don't like. Yes. Now, the people she doesn't like is a pretty big list. Yeah. She basically dislikes all of us who live in the southern part of the island yeah she made that very clear in her conference <laughs> speech that we were a problem right that's fine i don't give a damn what arlene
1: actually uh, we think she's a problem so i mean yeah like uh,
0: who gives a shit yeah. the problem is though the, by the laws that govern northern Ireland, she must deal with some sort of nationalists or republicans on a relatively daily basis
1: yes and you can hate them in private, but then, you must have some civil dealings with it, them. But it's the important thing is that the whole point of the power sharing is they're not going away. Yes. You know, it's it's it, there is an important and thing... And
0: speculating in the assembly about just removing the whole idea of having to do business with them, that's like wishful it, thinking, but the problem is that that was televised
1: and people saw it. Well, it, it's, it's the problem. I don't think the... Under, for understandable reasons, it's difficult if you're the DUP to really accept that, you know, you had essentially all power and now you still actually have quite a lot of power, but you don't have the, the, the monopoly on power anymore.
0: Although I, I would clarify that a little bit. I mean, the DUP formed out of what used to be the all yes, Unionist yeah. Party, and there's all those problems there but, as well. But
1: yeah. fundamentally it is that... Um, we were in control. We were in control, now yeah. or not. And it's understandable that you feel like the loser, but the problem is is that there is no way for them to return to that status quo without things going horribly, horribly wrong in some way or another. So you just have to swallow your pride and deal with the people across the aisle, which is very difficult in modern politics for a lot of politicians.
0: But what I understand is that she was able to do it last year, like this is yeah, the, yes. like she delivered them a massive victory last year. It, yes. Like We had an election like less than 12 months ago and she was like the darling of Northern Irish politics. Like literally, she carried five, six extra seats on her own name.
1: Yes, but the the, the ongoing issue of Brexit for Northern Ireland... Yes, I understand that. Is yeah. It's the very simple thing is that, one, suddenly being the only party standing out on the the yeah. pro Brexit side, yeah. is very difficult for any party to deal with.
0: And the PBP in Northern Ireland campaign to leave, really, which is one of the reasons mm-hmm. I think they lost one of their two seats.
1: That's very interesting. Stupid. Are they remotely aligned with the PPPAAA? <laughs> They're all yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very weird decision. They're Northern decision. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be that would be that weird sort of libertarianish yeah. branch of the yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but. Uh, then followed up by the thing of it has become very clearly apparent that the rest of the UK really isn't that interested in what happens to Northern Ireland. No. Um, which leads to that sort of difficult issue for Unionists of if it becomes or if there's the appearance that the UK, the people you want to stay with, don't care, don't have any interest or care in how this affects where you live, and the South is constant whenever they talk about Brexit, talking about we need to talk about the North, it really damages your ability to to cross the aisle. Because the problem is then, if you're seen crossing the aisle and on such a big issue such as that, and it doesn't even need to be on that issue, just in general, well, while that issue is ongoing for the next two, three years. Yeah, yeah. The problem I have to imagine is that then you're going to have to defend yourself to your own voters. And if you have as everyone knows in politics, if you have to defend yourself to your voters usually it's going to end very, very badly for you.
0: But looking at the, the, the election results, just on a constituency-by-constituency mm. constituency basis, I, I don't see a lot of evidence of DUP voters um, defecting en masse to, like, the TUV, which no. is, like, the guy who thinks they're too liberal, right? <laughs> it's not like they're going to him, right? No. And, like, to be honest, I don't agree with everything that Jim says, Jim Allister but I have to say he was one of the few guys a couple of years ago who was screaming about corruption so you might say like he's the kind of guy you go I don't agree with all of his views but at least he's honest yeah to be said to him he is honest and he's not crooked and he he's, he was he played an unusual role, as in like, he was the first guy, because in the old system they used to all have to be in government, and he said, no, I will be the sole opposition. And he literally <laughs> just would be the sole opposition, just haranguing them. And you need that
1: guy. Yes. You do need that guy, and he played a good role, and fair play to him. And I it's mean, important, he's bananas. It's, it's very important that at least someone was able to recognize that you need that role. Exactly,
0: yeah. and to his credit, he did it. Now, he is bananas, and he has views that are a little out there, but whatever. Um, but like, it's not like their voters all thought that Jim had seen the light and they all wanted to go to where Jim no. was, right? They pretty much stayed where they were. Their vote was depressed. It didn't come out to the same degree that, like, I mean, the Nationalists had, like, 80% turnout in certain areas. I yeah. mean, that was insane. Um, but I don't see a huge shift from the DUP, which means that well, see- they have their voters there. So, like, if Arlene decides, okay, you know... I've had a, I've had a, you know, whatever, a sort of a, a reawakening of something and she goes out and she tries to sell it in these areas, I mean, who else do they have to vote for? It's not like, well, see, do you know that, what I mean? I mean it's not the, like they have a huge choice if, if Arlene decides to take a
1: different direction. See, that's, that's, Not I on think, the
0: constitutional question, but on just yeah. like policy or whatever.
1: But I think that's something interesting about the UUP that I do have to wonder. The DUP or the UUP? The UUP. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, Um, well, they're headless. Well, I have to imagine what happened to the UUP was simply that if you're made up of the moderate unionists, and a fair number of moderate unionists really do not want Brexit, Mm. suddenly there begs the question, well, are you even a unionist anymore with Brexit coming down the line? And that creates a thing of, yes, the UUP now headless, but it means that then really there becomes a question of if, if being a unionist is your core issue, well then do you want to stay with the UUP? Probably not. You're probably looking at the DUP a little bit more and just going on voting for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, actually that's been the whole DUP's ball game, which is yeah. just to eat the UP voting base. And
1: if you're more of a moderate who was somewhat a unionist, yeah, and you want to stay moderate, then you're going to go for then the you're going to go for the yeah. So yeah, I mean, aligned, yeah. I think I think that's the more significant takeaway from this is that it has essentially to me, my reading of it is that it hasn't strengthened the dup it hasn't strengthened the unionist as a whole but it has reduced the diversity within unionism which is a bad thing it's a very bad thing very bad for the north and very bad it's bad for everyone
0: and i mean the thing is uh obviously we're recording this only a couple days after the election the negotiations are still ongoing the last i heard was that uh james broken Shield. Broken Shire. Broken Shire. Broken Shield sounds much better. Jim Brokenshire is the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland and is a pretty clueless Tory. Yeah. He waded into about six
1: controversies
0: by just opening his mouth when he shouldn't have.
1: That would seem about right for Tours.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, his civil servants are probably just running around going, just how do we keep Jim away from Twitter? Yeah. Because um, he just has a, a habit of saying dumb things.
1: Modern yes minister.
0: Yeah, yeah. A oh, total <laughs> klutz. Very nice, by all accounts. I mean, these guys are always
1: nice. But oh, klutz. Yeah, you don't become a politician by being an arsehole. Usually. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> but this guy is a
0: klutz. Um, I mean, he, he is a klutz. But uh, last. I heard is that he's trying to negotiate some meetings and Sinn Féin walked out saying all he's doing is just waffling at us. Which so fair enough so that's that's not going well anyway so we don't know what the government's going to if a government's going to be formed um, the law says that there has to be a three week process if at the end of that you have another election I don't think that's gonna happen I think that the, you might have a suspended assembly for a couple of weeks maybe they might put together this Rome rainbow thing I mean because. There is another dimension of this that was sort of talked about, and actually the guys who talked about it were the guys on Slugger O'Toole, which is kind of like a hybrid forum of sort of unionists and nationalists sort of talking together. It's like, it's, it's
1: sort of an odd message I, I suppose it's actually making the attempt to replicate the power sharing in, kind of yeah yeah an in internet forum
0: it, it has a kind of more unionist slant than your average thing but it's not bad like no it's and,
1: good to have that it, diversity and, but of... also
0: they, they do good work they are the ones who created the data table i'm going to link to them in the show notes mm. they do good work their um their analysis is very good um there are some of the v- people who write up there i wouldn't agree with everything they say but i mean they're fair yeah they're not sectarian they're not bigots like they, yeah. they actually have a genuine point and that's fair enough. And I, I appreciate reading that. So their argument has been, they're very critical of the DUP. Yeah. Because they copped on much sooner than most people that the DUP is t- to transfer toxic. Yeah. And they've been
1: saying this. Uh, it's a major issue. Once it's you become transfer toxic. You're in trouble. It becomes Well, it's not even that. It becomes impossible for you to win over new voters. Yeah. In a PRS-TV system, the way you win new voters is very simple. You wait until the opposition fucks up, you're transferable enough that they go, Asher. sure, I haven't given them a try, and then they vote for you. Yeah. Now, what you do once they've voted for you can go very, very wrong or very well. Um, I imagine, for instance, Fianna Gael has done very well out of being transfer friendly. I imagine it's going to, they're not going to be doing amazingly, but I reckon they're going to maintain a fair amount of the gains they've made from being transfer friendly.
0: Depending on the constituency.
1: Yeah, and in contrast, Labour was very transfer friendly, they were seen to have betrayed a lot of their principles and it has nearly killed the party in one fell blow. Yeah, they're now transfer toxic. But regardless, you need to remain transfer-friendly in a PRSTV tv system mm-hmm. um, in order to be able to win new voters. I mean, that is why PRS-TV leads, leads to the trend to the middle, yeah. much more than other systems. Yeah,
0: but so the, so we have this, this wider issue, which is, and I think we've mentioned this before, the UK government is a Tory-majority government. If you look on the website, parliament.government.uk, hmm. and you look, there's a little section that says working majority. And that means what's the current majority, you know, taking away, you know, deaths and, and by-elections and stuff like that. That yeah. happens in the term for government. Because the government, the election was in 2015. And it says working majority. And there's a, it's an I think it's 16. And the reason the working majority is 16 is because they're counting the eight DUP MPs as part of the broader rubric yeah. of the government majority, even though they're not really in government with them, but they have agreed to support them on a lot of stuff, yes. which complicates any potential negotiation. So when we had power sharing established in 98, who was in power? Labour. Labour did not require the DUP to do anything. No. Anything.
1: No interest in what they were... They didn't care.
0: <laughs> and also, they, to be honest, even though they were sister parties with the SDLP, they didn't require the one or two SDLP... Um, MPs to backstop their government they had these huge majorities, they didn't care so they were quite willing to piss them off they didn't give a damn you have a different situation now, you have a Tory government with a small, very slender majority pretty internally divided on a number of issues including the, the budget that they're trying to ram through right now and you have to go have a negotiation in this strange statelet that has been artificially kind of Recently, politically, it's, its entire process is very artificial. Entirely. You, you have the New Start, the St. Andrew's Agreement, you have all these weird interlocking, interlocking kind of agreements that are trying to hold it together. And the party that is backstopped by the DUP have to go into a negotiating room and tell the DUP to do business with Shinners. Yes. What's but, wrong with that picture? I mean, like, that, that, is, that is like a huge problem. How you, in the name of God, like, if you are an honest-to-God DUP voter and you're sitting in, you know, the DUP hardlands and you're looking at that, you're going, well, that makes no sense.
1: Yeah.
0: And that person is not wrong to say, that makes no sense.
1: It, it is entirely not what they're looking for. Yeah. I, I mean, but this, this ties into, all right, we're discussing the, there hasn't been a lot of discussion really about this election in Ireland or the UK. Yeah. It's, I mean, RT did a better job than everybody else. Yeah. Well, RT has always had a... Obviously, Ireland has a bit more of an interest, what with us having the land border, border yeah. and so on. But there there has been some interesting things about this. Of uh, Recently, we got the first, not, not exact confirmation, but it's looking like confirmation that, yes, regardless of how Brexit goes, at least for some time, there will have to be a hard border. And no definition as to what the hell that means but there's gonna be one no which is the ongoing problem with the term hard border is that depending on who you're talking to they interpret it in very different ways um, you know some might interpret it as like ah well maybe we'll get some cops to sit in a booth and wave people through I don't know, others it see that. it as being the armies, what the army's coming course. back yeah these are very significant differences especially for the north mm. but there's an interesting thing. of This only came out recently enough in the past few days as well. And it's important to recognize that like this wasn't held back out of any particular malice. It's just that if you're trying to, you know, win this whole Brexit argument in the UK as a whole... You don't want to be You, you, don't, you don't want to screw over your allies in it in the DUP by going, yeah. Oh, yeah, and you guys are fucked. Yeah, yeah that's not what you said. Um, but there is a number of um, issues to do with this, which is... That the North, as far as I can tell from the people I've talked to, they just feel completely at sea. Mm. I mean, they, they, the North has always generally felt, compared to the rest of the UK, that like they're in a lifeboat being tugged behind mm. um, the rest of the, the the nation, rather than being part of the, you know, the rest of the well, ship. Well,
0: they're not Coventry as much as Tasha no. might have told them that they were,
1: but. The problem is I I get the sense that most of them, even the ones who support Brexit, feel just in generally adrift. There's no discussion about the huge impacts that this is going to have for the North. Uh, It's not discussed popularly in the media. And whenever it is discussed, it is discussed in the sense of, and what about the North? There's no actual discussion of in-depth, like, oh, hang on a moment. If a hard border comes in, the big success... Of the northern economy so far has been the arts and culture. Um, amazingly, it's been something that actually done very well. Mm-hmm. There's no discussion of how does that get affected. I mean, because you know what and I mean. And farming. Know. Oh, farming, well, farming as well. huge. Huge, as well. huge, huge well. fucking damage to farming. Farming. What happens when farming goes? Like, are they even going to be able, they're able to sell half the products down to us, depending on how things change? I mean, but here's the thing: I'm not saying they will change. They They won't be able to, but they could. And the lack of discussion Mm -hmm. is getting worse and worse. We're hitting nearly the year mark in a month or two. maybe Sorry, maybe three months? Three months. Three months. And a nine-month lack of real discussion and preparation for how the North is going to survive Brexit is much more damaging for them than it is anyone else in the UK.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Because they need to know far more than anyone else. Not just for economic reasons but for social reasons.
0: But you could critique the DUP, like if I was in the UP the one thing, because the DUP did campaign to remain yes. for all the reasons we just said, um, so it's not like all of unionism was in favour of leaving. Far from it. Um, and not, nor was all of nationalism in favour of staying either. No. There's a whole bunch of them that voted to leave too.
1: I mean there is a small but decent amount of people who do believe that Ireland should also leave the EU. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I consider and, them somewhat mad, but, but they, they are, have there's a argument. significant number of
0: them. They're, they're, like, you're talking on the southern side, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. So it's, it's not that small. And by the way, you and I could be counted. Have we ever voted in favor of any EU referendum? but,
1: no, but like I haven't voted it. in favor, but I'm still in favor of the EU. I'm not in favor of leaving. No, there's I, I, a big difference I, 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 No, I know that, that,
0: but we would be counted in a pool of Euroskeptics, definitely. Yeah. Oh, all...
1: Euroskeptics? Definitely.
0: Yeah. So there is a critique to be made of the DUP if they are backstopping the Tory government why the hell didn't they go and find out Yes. what the Tory government are planning to do
1: well, if you require their votes then they should really be informed well the DOP should be holding them by the balls you know yeah. drag, the, drag themselves into the conversation and go it, we need to know I mean this, this is the thing that has been I think brexit has been an interesting one particularly from an, an Irish perspective mm-hmm. um I don't think Irish people are as worried as it, it's often made out to be by governed parties. I think the border counties are worried. The border counties are worried, but the border counties, again, they're worried more for social reasons more than anything else, at least in the south of Ireland. no security, it's, too. It's security to an extent, but there is also the notion of, as I've as mentioned before, I mean, there is a lot more inter intertied communities now over the border. Uh, yeah, yeah they've got man. families on either side. Um, I mean, yes, there's security concerns, but... I think overall there is that um, general sense that, in Ireland, like we're mostly relaxed about the situation except in regards to the North. In regards to the North, we're just constantly going, what's going on? What's happening? And there is no, there has been virtually no discussion from, and admittedly, either the EU or the UK, both have been very quiet on potential plans and potential there is solutions. This, there
0: is talk of this EU special status thing.
1: Yes, but the, the issue is, is that, that that discussion needs to filter down to the populace. Yeah. That discussion, because the problem is, look, the EU is huge, right? I yeah. mean, this, this is an issue of the EU is huge, and their concerns with Brexit... You know, if you're Poland, you're not concerned with Brexit in regards to Northern Ireland, a place no. that, like, never going to affect you, really. No. You're concerned with Brexit in terms of your citizens who are in the UK and your business ties to the UK. Yeah. So the North isn't getting the attention. But the issue is that most EU countries don't have the the history of referenda that we do. True. In Ireland, we like to get a say on the big stuff. Yeah. It's very important to our democracy.
0: Yeah. You and could argue we, that we use feckin' referenda as plebiscites, which is We stupid, do, we do we indeed, do, yeah. but
1: it's still an important part of our democracy. Yeah. So when there's nothing being discussed and no options being put on the table, mm-hmm. it does create a, just a general unease of, oh Jesus, is this going to end up being a complete catastrophe? And they're not telling us just, because they know it's going to be a catastrophe.
0: I just had a thought there. You remember how part of the nineteen ninety eight Good Friday Agreement we had to strip out articles two and three of the constitution that said that we had those yes. territorial claims in Northern Ireland, which is totally fair enough because if you're a Unionist, you're going oh. to hell. This is my point. If you were to not reinsert them in the way they were written, right? Because that would just piss a lot of yes. people off up there. But if you were to pass some sort of island, like you would, you'd have to call it something like you know the, the Free Trade Association of Ireland of the Island. Mm-hmm. You could, in theory, wrap them in our constitutional framework.
1: Well, there's also questions of... If now, the question we, is, would the Northerners go along
0: with it? Because they would have to pass a simultaneous legislation well, to agree well to Well,
1: again, it. as we've discussed many times before, the status of the Good Friday Agreement is really in question. Yeah. Um, and if the Good Friday Agreement... Falls apart. Like, so there's a question here. If the Good Friday Agreement falls apart or is essentially removed by the UK's actions, does that would that pretty much essentially result in those articles in our constitution returning to be valid
0: no we, we repealed them we removed them we'd have to
1: put them back Hmm. I'm just curious because it is that thing of that that, that was part of a grand decision mm. you, you know what i mean this wasn't that's the problem with the good friday agreement is that it wasn't one decision
0: no it was a bunch of things it was a bunch of
1: intertwined things and i think that's where the major issue is coming in. I mean, as it's often being pointed out, the biggest problem with the the North in this situation is you have so many agreements going back years, some being UK-Ireland treaties, some predating Ireland's free state status. Yeah. Um, some are decisions that the UK made itself, that Not Irish really. citizens would be considered British for most intents and purposes. And then the Good Friday Agreement is somewhat under an EU sort of... Status and it creates a lot of uncertainty to how that works. It, to to be fair, as much as I would love to criticize the current UK government for not knowing what they're doing, no one knows what they're doing.
0: I would critique them for basically being the guys who went out of their way to not know.
1: I would agree with that. Um they
0: have been in power. They pretend, like I love whenever the Tories talk, they talk like they just got elected on Tuesday. Yes. They're like, we've turned up. And my God, the kitchen's on fire. And I'm like, you've been in power since 2010.
1: Well, it's the thing of, you you imagine that Cameron was somehow like, literally they invested all of their power and knowledge into him. And when he left, they had no idea what to do.
0: Yeah, the guy with the brains left.
1: The the scary thing is, is it seems that that might have been the case. Yeah, the boss man is
0: gone and nobody knows where the keys are.
1: But to be fair, that's true to the Tories that they they do not do well under leadership change. They they
0: definitely are. The unitary executive government, definitely, yeah. Um, I think we should probably wrap up soon. But the one thing I would say is that if anything you could take away from this podcast is that the unionists still have a majority. Yes. It's tenuous, but it's there.
1: It is a historic change. It's a
0: historic change, but it is not, and I repeat this, and I I know people are going to be annoyed I'm going to say this. It is not in any way a change towards... A radical change towards reunifying the country next
1: week. That is not going to happen. In many small steps that have happened over the years.
0: And I bet money that if I was to say that to a senior Republican in Sinn Féin, they would probably agree with me. I would say that they they would agree with what I just said, which is basically, this is not, do not
1: overread
0: these results.
1: Yes. Because if you do, the risk from Sinn Fein's perspective backlash, yeah. is not even backlash. Is that people will lose hope, and <laughs> Sinn Fein has like been very slowly making progress on its agenda. Yeah, um,
0: and also a whole bunch of those people who voted did not vote for the Sinn Fein; they voted for the SDLP. Yes. So it's
1: not like it's one group. Oh yes, and I would say the last thing of note that we didn't really mention, but it doesn't require a large discussion, is with Martin McGuinness having stepped down. And you know, possibly you know, not not being in good health. There's an important thing to note about this is the first election where really a lot of the people standing don't have the ties to the IRA
0: or Very the alleged
1: ties to the IRA. Fair. There's a couple, but not as, as many. Not as many, and it's important that. And it's, also,
0: it's the first election to re- return 30% women.
1: Yes, kind no. of by accident. <laughs> I think that's that's. Uh, I think if anything could be said about the, the Northern Irish government, it is that interesting thing of it has been quite progressive in small, weird little ways that no one is actually intending. Yeah, progressive. Is, uh, we now have a lot of right-wing women, but yes, they're yeah. there. Well, no, it's important. I always No, think no, I agree it, with you. No, 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 I, no I'm, I'm making do a always, I, totally I do always find it totally that agree. funny thing of, you know, people always have that occasional understanding on the left of more women in politics will be more progressive, and you're going, you haven't met a lot of women. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah i mean it's more representative yes that's good that's the important thing yeah yeah and they and they did it kind of i don't know if they have gender quotas but i mean the thing is they probably do need them because the majority of women elected as much as i was just joking that they're right wingers they're not actually the majority of women elected are elected in nationalists and non-line yep. parties who all either lean center or lean left yeah so the unions parties have the lowest female representation even though one of them is led by a woman.
1: Well, that's the interesting thing, as I said, about the North, is that they've ended up being very progressive on gender issues without intending to.
0: But the, you could argue that they're not actually progressive because it's...
1: It's an, it's unintentional. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and in fairness, you could argue that, you know, okay, they've got to 30. If we have another snap election, let's get oh, it to God 50. Oh, God knows. It, it, could, it could drop, no, it could go up. All the way go down, up. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, this is the, the the history of Irish politics in both the North and the South is that it's very unpredictable election to election.
0: So the last thing I would say is that we nearly had a government collapse twice in the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. This seems to be like every time we do this podcast, it's like, oh, they nearly <laughs> fell last week. I mean, it's like, what is this, Belgium? Like, uh, the, uh, like half, nobody... the,
1: half the time we're doing a podcast, I'm expecting to step out the door, look at the news and go, oh, well, I better go back in. <laughs> and we just have to record something now. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, it's gone. So... The Northern thing, if there's one thing that can be taken away from an Irish, Southern Irish perspective, it's this. Turnout is everything. Yes. Turnout and constituency changes, those two in tandem really make big differences. If our turnout goes up by nine points, we will not know the result. And the result will be spectacularly odd.
1: Well, this is the important thing that is often not communicated by most political scientists is that important thing of you're only calculating based on the past results. You're not calculating based off of what could happen if the, that turnout goes up for whatever number of reasons. That's a 10% jump that you do not know how they are going to vote. Really. You don't even
0: know where they're coming from. Oh, yes. So, you know, this is a, a warning signal for for both the big parties who are sort of keeping this dog and pony show up, you know, Fianna Gail and Fianna fall. It's like, if you do end up in a snaps election situation you could have 10 percent more of the populace turn out and vote and you have no idea how they're gonna vote hmm. you know if we end up with 55 independent non-aligns wandering around at all I think it'll be amazing but everybody else will be like how do we do anything with these guys the only thing I'll say is there'll be a lot of tarmac going to really weird
1: places well you know um aside from which is
0: I'm all in favor
1: of tarmac going
0: to rural places
1: aside from it being interesting I think if we hit that number I think it might be a kick up the ass for some of the independents to really start going you actually need to start forming parties
0: Or at least strong groups. You
1: you need to actually tell us where you stand and work as a group because at this point you're running the country.
0: (laughs) So this marks the end of our um, Northern Ireland special podcast. Um, Please get in touch for any comments or questions or whatever. Um, I'd like to thank very much the guys at Slugger O'Toole for the great graphics they did. I'm going to link that to the show notes. I advise everyone to read their election coverage. I think it's probably the best that was done on the Northern Irish question. I think they've done outstanding work. Um, So that's all from me, Jack Cavanaugh. And
1: it's all from me, Jack Kerwin.
0: Take it easy.